Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot, Inbound, and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the Spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. Ready, spot, go. All right, we are back with another episode of The Spot. And uh, today I'm super excited, as I am always excited. I'm figuring that out as I listen back to the episodes. George, you're just really an excitable dude because you're always excited. But today we're talking about reporting. We're talking about metrics. And as if you're watching this episode, uh, you can see Max's hat. We might be talking about some math as well. I, I, I imagine with the people on this podcast that we'll get there. But I want to start out today's show a little bit differently because I'm super curious when we're talking about reporting and the math and the stuff that we're going to get into, just from a life standpoint, fundamental standpoint, curious, and we'll start maybe with Doug, maybe we'll go to Julie, then we'll go to Max. Uh, so whoever was sweating can stop sweating and who wasn't sweating can start sweating. Like, how do you measure success? That's my question for you, Doug. How do you measure success, Doug? Personally? I don't know. We're talking personally as opposed to as opposed to. Maybe. I mean, because, you know, if we're talking about like, is Imagine successful? I mean, for me, it's, are we making progress? Can I look back at what we did a year ago? Whether it's me, is it, am I almost embarrassed by what we did a year ago versus what we're doing today? You know, maybe that's stretching out to two years. You know, are we making progress? And, you know, and the big piece is what was the expectation going into it? How, how did we do, uh, how, and there's actually two aspects. There's contribution success that I obsess about. And there's outcome success that I try not to. Because I, because I think, and I'm sure I'll bring this up. We, we have a tendency to result. Did did we do? You know, based upon what we know, did we play our best game? Did did we do what we could have done? And and if it turned out that we lose, we don't hit an objective because we didn't know about something, or you know, then I don't I don't get down about that. I consider that successful. Um, if I can look back and go, yeah, we knew better than that, or, or something like that. That's where I would be. Um, you know, that's why we consider it to be not successful. It's it's interesting because I asked, how do you measure success? Didn't ask if you were successful or not. We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Julie, how would you measure success? Um, well, based on your response to Doug, I actually don't know what answer you're looking for for this question anymore. I second that. No, I'm not looking. <laughs> yeah, for, I'm, I'm very confused I, now. I, I am so. just looking for brain dumps. Like if it, how do you measure success? It's It's that simple. Like word association. Um, well, so from a from a business standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a how does the marketing to sales to service continuum standpoint look like, right? Um, I always like to contextualize everything into a business goal with the asterisk, right? That a lot of it's made up. Uh, is how it sometimes feels in marketing, even in digital, which we say is like this great attribution, this and that, that you can get all of these things, right? There are so many times where, you know, it's the cumulative impact of what you put out into the world. I'm not just going to say marketing content, but everything that your business puts out into the world 
has some little piece of this attribution puzzle to some person. So I don't try to like overemphasize, oh, this ebook got us this many customers. But I think it's important to know how that quote unquote funnel looks and works. Um, and then I think there are other wins in that world where you can be successful. So, uh, you know, sometimes I might be working on a project with a client that's more operations based. And the success metric isn't more customers. It's we made this thing a lot easier or we saved you a lot of money in transitioning from, you know, this crazy system you were using before um, into HubSpot or because we swapped out, um, you know, one document management system for another, you got more features and are paying less. So those are also, I think, success metrics. You know, I think the best way to measure success is to have a lot of touch points, right? There are some things that are um, fluctuating. There are some things that are not outcomes-based, right? As Doug mentioned, you know, there are different ways to think about it. So uh, depending on what question you're asking, there are a lot of different answers in that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not gonna disagree with that. Max, how, how do you, my friend, measure success? So this is something I've always struggled with. Um, I think in the past, I've always kind of thought that uh, success in anything is either measured as like either a vibe or something I can observe or something, you know, and, you know, I've, I've always had a real hard time, I think, defining it. Something that I've been trying to do more, whether I'm measuring success with something I'm doing at work or something I'm doing in my personal life, is to try as best I can to use that SMART goal I can't remember what it was the SMART goal acronym. So specific, measurable, attainable. I think some people say re, uh, relative or relatable or relative to whatever it is, or something that you're doing relates to what you're doing um, or realistic. I've heard, I've seen the R many different ways and then time-based. I want to accomplish X specific thing by X specific time. And it's, it's something that's actually feasible. Um, and that's always, that's something that's super helpful for me because you know, I'm I'm the type of person who can get into many different things as one at once and never finish anything, right? So, I think trying to define what success looks like, and and also just um, not overthinking like what good looks like, because I, I tend to just kind of overthink that with a number of different projects that I do or directives that I get at work or anything like that. So, yeah, a couple different ways, but like that's something I've been trying to do recently to like make it a little easier for me to understand and define what good or what successful looks like with anything that I'm doing. I love that. I love that. Doug, I want to circle back around to you. Yeah. Because Doug, your original question to my question was personal or professional. Why is that where your mind immediately went when I asked the question, how do you measure success? Why was there a divide in the conversation the way, that we're about to have? The, the, the way you teed it up. So I, I mean, I came on the call I mean, I came on the podcast because we're, you know, it's a business focused podcast that we were going to talk about how do you, you know, so when success in business, so you, you had said something and, you know, I am not my business. I am not my professional life. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm separate from that. And I've, I've worked hard for that. I actually was going to circle back. And as I thought about it more and listen to everybody, I think I, I take issue with your question. I don't think you can measure success. I think that's, the, I, I don't, I think you can measure progress. But I think success is different than that. I mean, to me, what is success? Success is did you make progress? Uh, ben Zander wrote a great book, um, uh, The Art of Possibility, I think is what it is. And and 
success is however you frame it, right? How do you, you know, what angle do you want to look at to, to, you know, to, to define that? So I, I think that I agree with what Max said. I think we, we, we built this culture that it's, that is obsessed with this term success, but it's really disguised as something else. So yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. the smart goal framework actually kind of hurts us sometimes from that perspective, right? Because you put this time bound goal in place uh, and a lot of times you can hit all the other things, right? You can do all those other things that you want to do and make that progress. Uh, but maybe that date wasn't the best or maybe something else happened that affected the date. I mean, so if you don't hit that date, but you still get that thing, are you successful? Well, if you're really into like, it's a smart goal or it's not, um, it's a smart goal or it's not worth having, then losing the date means you didn't achieve anything. And that's really scary, right? Like one of the best lessons that I ever learned about goals and progress and all this was uh, I once worked for a company that had a really aggressive growth goal one year and we mm. were all pretty obsessive about it, right? It was all of the things that you can think of in terms of a smart goal framework. The goal was either that year to be like a nine or $10 million company, right? And whichever it was, it was a huge year over year growth and we missed it by like a hundred thousand dollars. So instead of having 50% year over year growth, we had 47% year over year growth or whatever it was. And our CEO kind of came back from the holidays and he was like, I was so distracted that we didn't hit this goal and over-indexed on the timeline that I didn't even think about all of the things we achieved as a team, despite not hitting that number by that timeline. And by the way, by the end of Q1, you know, we were kind of back where we needed to, needed to be. That's like a, a really good lesson in perspective that I've been taking. Like, yes, yeah, sometimes you don't hit the number in the time frame, but you can still do great things and it still matters. And you have to gut check yourself around that. There, there, there are two things on that that I'll, I'll piggyback on, which I, I think is the reason for the timeline is so that people can think. And so you can release dopamine. Dopamine is what causes us to look forward to things. I mean, it's the most addictive substance on, on the planet. When there's no clear timeline, there's no dopamine, there's no anticipation, there's very little, mo you know, it, it, so, so you don't motivate. But the goal, like the truth of a good SMART goal isn't, did you achieve the SMART goal? It's what did you achieve because you sought to achieve the SMART goal, right? And we get so telescoped into like I, you actually went a different course. I thought you were going to say that the CEO came back and said last year was a failure. We didn't. So, so thankfully that I've seen too many people that, that do that. Here's the other thing that I was going to share for us. I'll give you a bad, real business story. First time we did a major CRM migration implementation. This was probably about three years ago. We thought we knew what we were doing. And we did not. There was so much that, that we didn't know that we didn't know. And holy cow, did we, am I allowed to cuss on this episode? We messed it up. We messed it up. Okay. And I mean, it, now we pulled it out for the client and it was okay. They, they did not do more work with us, um, but it was okay. We lost money in it because I had the commitment. The team was down because it was just a shit show. And I looked at him and I'm like, why are you guys down? Look at what we pulled off. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, Doug, you were like, this went wrong. We lost one. I'm like, yeah, but 
we didn't know any of the, like, like we can't get mad at ourselves that we screwed up because we didn't know. Right. And, and so we were, I said like, this is one of, I, I still look at it as one of our most successful programs because we did a, we pulled it out that enabled us to do the next thing. And that'll enable us to do the next thing. And now I'm, as a matter of fact, I, the video that I was putting together, George, was, 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 was for um, insanely complicated um, migration implementation where, where I'm explaining to them, look, here's four places that you guys don't realize there's massive unknowns and you won't know them until we're there. So like, I can now predict that. And I would not have been able to do that. We would not be able to do that if we hadn't done, you know, if we hadn't had that mess. And, and the trouble is, if you have that experience and you define it as a failure in this, you, asso- you associate negativity to it. You're, it, it, it's, it's bad. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Um, and, you know, and then we go, I don't understand why our people aren't motivated. So, so again, like we had this smart goal that we whiffed on. I mean, like we didn't miss it by 100,000, Julie. We missed it by like... Like we didn't miss it by like 10%. We missed it by like 150%, right? And it was, so So again, that's where I say, you really got to look at the input. Did you have a good at bat? Did you play a good hand? Not did you win the hand? Because all kinds of things happen outside of that. So there's this great uh, episode of a podcast that I listened to once. Um, the podcast is really like a health, fitness, wellness podcast. Uh, it's the uh, the WAG podcast, which is by Working Against Gravity, which is a nutrition coaching company. I have in the past been a client of theirs. Um, and part of their process for nutrition coaching is a weekly check-in. Your weekly check-in, you fill out a survey with like 20 different questions. Uh, but the name of this podcast episode is the 15 measures of progress. And it's their approach to like fitness, nutrition, weight loss, et cetera, is that you can't have one marker of progress. You can't have one number because if anyone here has ever tried to lose weight in the world, which I think is like almost everyone I've ever met in my whole life. Um, sometimes you have this, yeah, big one for me. Um, it's not a linear journey, right? It's not, you know, I'm going to lose this many ounces every day for this amount of time. And then all of a sudden I've reached this goal. It's, you know, some weeks you weigh more, some days you had Chinese food for dinner, right? And you have all of these different things. Um, so they look at literally 15 different metrics week by week and their system like charts them out for you and gives you all of this data, but it's about thinking about progress and success in different ways, right? So if you're on a wellness journey, maybe one week you gained weight, but it turns out you've been in the gym a lot and your body is retaining fluid because you're trying to rebuild your muscles. And by the way, uh, you took that progress photo and week to week, there's this visible difference in how you look. Um, you also write how you feel, um, how stressed you were, right? So there are all of these different indicators. Um, and I like to pull in that approach, especially um, when I'm looking at my team performance from a management standpoint is like, we can't just look at one thing and hyper-focus there because there's all this other stuff that you need to think about. All right. So <clears throat> by the way, I asked one question. I just want everybody who's listening to this to realize I asked one question and we've gone for 10, maybe 15 minutes. I asked, how do you measure success? And and by the way, before I get into kind of why I asked that, I've been I've been, uh, you know, fighting against gravity my entire life. So I, I give a hands up to that whole weight loss thing as well. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. this is where my mind went was the journey that I'm on, which is a personal journey of weight loss. I've lost 70 pounds. I'm on my way to trying to get 183. And it's like, how do I measure success? And I, I wanted to ask this question because we could quickly get into this is a business podcast. We're going to talk about analytics. We're going to talk about analysis. We're going to talk about all the things that you should have in place. And when I historically have talked about the reporting inside of HubSpot, I've said you can measure your success or your failure on or off, good or bad. And here's the thing, what I wanted to kind of dig into and what we have mentioned in the last 10 or 15 minutes is, are we really trying to measure the success or failure of a business or are we trying to measure the progress over time, right? And a lot of the articles, because by the way, we put three articles in here. They talk about weekly reporting, monthly reporting, yearly reporting, and that reporting is actually the progress that happens over time. So how are we positioning ourselves? And this is my kind of second question here. How are we positioning our reporting and our analyzing to our potential clients? Is it as, hey, we're going to show you every month success or failure of what we've done for you? Or are we positioning our reporting and analysis as, hey, we're going to show you the progress or the setbacks that we've faced over the last 30 days. There's a huge difference. I'm going to be quiet and let you guys wax poetic on your thoughts with that. Can I give one little tiny thing? Because I want to hear what you guys have to say about like, you know, talking to your clients about this stuff. But let me me put a disclaimer on this. Reporting and analytics within HubSpot is 100% my biggest weak spot. Like I'm not a numbers guy despite my hat, right? Um, But the, the one piece of advice I always gave customers or anyone using HubSpot and using any of the reporting or analytics tools, especially when you're building a dashboard or you're creating a custom report or whatever it may be. It's hard for me to compare HubSpot's reporting tools to other tools out there because I have very, very limited like experience with, you know, the stuff that's outside of it. But, you know, it can be easy to build some things in HubSpot. It can be very, very tough to build certain reports in HubSpot, just as I imagine it would be in any other program. And that can take a lot of mental calories. It can take a lot of time. It can build a lot of frustration. Um, The biggest thing I always tell people is like, if you're going to take the time to build some sort of custom report in HubSpot or collect some sort of data, make sure like you understand the story it's going to tell you. And you, you can answer the question of why I'm, I'm building this number, why I'm building this report, why I'm building this dashboard. Cause you don't want to spend a lot of times on reports that aren't really going to give you a whole ton in return because that time can be better spent, you know, elsewhere, either on other reports that are more useful for you or something else like writing a blog post, doing an email, whatever it may be. Um, so just always like, like start with why when it comes to like building any sort of custom reports in HubSpot. So like, you know, that time is well spent. That's the one thing I'll say. And I'll- I think that's great, Max. Um, I just had a team member who was doing her first like big kind of annual client report. Uh, she was working through it and she's like, I think I've spent 15 hours on this. And I said, good, right? This shouldn't take you two hours. You're asking a lot of questions. Uh, and that kind of why piece of the puzzle, I think is the most important part of analysis in general. I've seen a lot of bad marketing reports. I've seen so many bad marketing reports. I've seen so many, you know, dashboards that are supposed to serve as analysis. It's like, well, here's the numbers. 
the numbers are great. What do they mean? And why do I care about them? And why are we sharing them with a client? And what are we using that data to do in the future? I very seldom focus a report or an analysis project on the current state. The point of looking at where things are, where things have been, Mm -hmm. is to help define where things need to go. And I do work that around some type of business success metric or set of metrics or whatever they are. I think they're they're guidelines and they should be a guiding light, right? If I have a company who says, well, we need to grow X percent over the next year, then my analysis is, well, where are you now? And what are the levers we can pull to help you get there? And how will these things potentially work together? And where might there be holes in the current strategy, past strategy, or where might we need to build things for the future? But it should take a long time. It should be challenging. Like this whole idea of, oh, reporting and analysis should be easy. And you should just know it should be work. It should be real work, real, as you said, Max, mental calories. Um, and HubSpot is great. There are some you know, great new reporting functionality. Uh, there's some beta reporting functionality and things like that. I almost always have to pull data out of at least one system and always use more than one platform in a deep analysis project. Mm -hmm. So like, I have to be able to get it into Excel. There are gonna be pivot tables. I will need to cross-reference and look at things and how they're going in Google Analytics versus HubSpot versus this tool versus that tool. I've played the data box game and put things into dashboards to bring the data together. At some point, you do have to kind of separately dig in. Uh, And I usually say, to my team, start with the big picture and the story of what you've seen happening and then ask why like 57 times. And then when you have 57 reasons why things are happening, you should have 57 strategies moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that I love about that. And it even ties into what Max said, because Julie and in your original story, by the way, when I asked the question about success, it was like, you're gleaning into this multiple multiple metrics, right? There's multiple metrics that you're measuring by, and there's really multiple views that you're allowing yourself to look at those metrics at, right? And and I might even just throw in here, I'm going to throw a little wrench into the system that I would say reporting actually is probably easy because a lot of reporting is automated. The analysis part of it, right? So the analytics is easy. The analysis is the difficult part. And and I want to actually pull out a piece of one of the articles because, by the way, the links are in the show notes. We want you to go check out these articles. But I want to pull out a piece that's in one of these articles that for me – by the way, Doug, not that I have an infatuation with you. But when I read this part, I was like, damn it, Doug, right? So I love you too. Here's the thing. I love you, brother. All right. But here's the thing. Out of the article, the first core component of web analytics reporting is merely organizing data into summaries. On the other hand, analysis is the process of inspecting, cleaning, transforming, and modeling these summaries reports with the goal of the highlighting useful information. Simply put, reporting translates data into information while analysis turns information into insights. And if you listened last episode, you realize we talked about insights. And so this is where I go. I'm like, 
dang on it. We talked about building insights, knowing your core insights. Your reporting should actually lean into what some of those insights are. Anyway, this becomes a ball of wax where we think about, or some may think about just reporting as reporting. And, and Julie, while you do really great at this, like you're the analysis side, like freaking ninja. I have trained people where I show them the data. And I know at a gut level right now they should be freaking out. And they look at the numbers and have no clue the analysis part that is tied to the numbers that they're seeing. I want to caution. I want to caution a couple of things. This whole this whole insane obsession with data driven um, is is candidly making us dumber, right? Um, what does the data tell us? Do you know what the real answer is? What would you like the data to tell us? Data and statistics mm. are far more like a lamppost for a drunk used for support, not illumination. So we're also mixing three things together. We're talking to them like they're like they're even in the same family when they're not. Um, they, they might be in the same genome, but they're not the same family. And that is, we're talking about reports, we're talking about reporting, and we're talking about analysis. There are three distinct things with three distinctly different jobs um, that, that, that we view from. So like I run a whole number of reports when I'm managing a sales team that, that, that are versions of flash reports which basically says, you know, I operate it like a pilot flies a plane. You've got in norm and out of norm. And in a sales or marketing situation, out of norm can be out of norm high or out of norm low. By the way, I did this when I was a financial advisor. One of the reasons that people lose a whole lot of money and they're going to lose a whole lot of money coming up soon is because all the money that's been made in very few stocks in the last year, you know, all the people who have been really stupid to put all their money in one place have shot up. If you go back to 1999, the Munder Net Net Fund, which was like 30 all internet funds, was up 150%. In three years, it was up like 1,000%. In 2000, it lost 90% of its value. When do you think 90% of the money went into the Munder Net Net Fund? The three months before it lost 90% of its value, right? Because no one looked and said, well, I'm investing in the Munder Net Net Fund because I think it's going to be up 15%. And then it was up 55%. No one said, holy cow, guys, we're wrong here. We were wrong. We thought it was going to be up 15. It turned up to be 55. Here's what most people do. They go, yes, we were up 55%. So we're, we've got a target of 15% growth this year. We grew 35%. Everyone's like, celebration. We, we beat it. I'm like, no, why are we celebrating? We were wrong. We were massively wrong. Why were we wrong? We have this assumption that when we're wrong on the upside, it's because of us. But then when we're wrong on the downside, well, it, it, it's the environment. So, so the way I run a sales team and the way I run a day-to-day -day is we have in-norm, out-of-norm. What I want to do is I want to be able to look at a report and go, yep, all, um, each rep is working the right number of contacts. Each rep is working the right number here. here like, so I want to look at a report and my takeaway is nothing, nothing to take away. That's what I get 90% of, oh, what happened here? What happened here? What's is that something I need to pay attention to? So that's that's kind of where reports leads to reporting. And if you want to get to analysis, you can't train somebody to do analysis by focusing on reporting because there's a there's a prerequisite to analysis. You need to have some experience and 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 a mind for it because it's a different 
it, it, it is a different talent. It's not a skill, it's a talent. A lot of it can be learned, but it's a talent. But here's the other thing that is the absolute, you cannot do analysis that means anything. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can do analysis to you blue in the face. If you don't have a hypothesis going into it, right? What's the hypothesis? See, if you didn't have a clear expectation of what was gonna happen and why you were doing it, then when you look at the data, it can tell you whatever you want it to tell you. And nine times out of 10, guys, reversion to the mean is the number one predictor of, of the future. So if you're doing great on the upside, I got news for you. The chances of you underperforming, I was talking to a sales rep, his forecast, he's like up 100% in his monthly forecast, but then he's off 70% and he's getting killed by his manager because his forecasting is off. And I said, well, when you were up 100%, did you change the forecast for the next month? No, I, I actually increased it. Well, that was foolish. Reversion to the means number one. Luck, guys, luck has, luck's half the game, right? The outcome of your life is decision quality and luck. We can't control luck. We can control decision quality. Why do we do analysis? To be able to make better decisions. Great poker players, they're going to lose to inferior players. This is why I say people say business is chess. Business is not chess. Chess is a game of perfect information. The better player wins every time unless the better player makes a big mistake. Poker is a game of lack of information. Poker is a game of probabilities. See, you said, George, it's zero or one. It's success or failure. I've got news for everybody. Life is between zero and one. Do you know how big the difference is between zero and one? Infinity exists between zero and one. That's where we live, which is why I goes back to my, my, my success definition, right? So if you want to have analysis that means something, you've got to know why you did it. And I'll finish this with the, with the final story. If anybody remembers the Super Bowl between the, uh, the Seahawks and the Patriots, Pete Carroll got lambasted for, for throwing a pass on third down from the one-yard line because the Patriots intercepted and they won the game. That was actually the right call. It was unequivocally the right decision that had a bad outcome. By the way, when he was on the Today Show and they asked him, how could you make that call? Carol explained why he made that call. And everyone was like, can you believe this arrogant piece of whatever? He can't even admit that he was wrong, right? Except when you look at, you know, when you look at the percent, the scenarios that happened, what's going on, all those other things, you realize, wait, that was a good call. And you know what? You know why Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks are still at the top and are, you know, one of the top contenders to be in the Super Bowl, because he didn't let the outcome, he didn't let the luck part of the equation impact his ability to make decisions. And I'm going to tell you, most people are going to look at what happened and go, okay, well, don't ever do that again, because it was bad. I remember I was talking to when, when my son was playing youth baseball, all of a sudden the pitcher, my son was a catcher, the pitcher wasn't throwing the pitches that we were calling. He wouldn't throw the changeup. And so I go out and I said, so Will, I understand you don't want to throw the changeup. He's like, no coach, I don't want to throw a changeup. I'm like, why? He goes, the last changeup I threw, they, they hit it really hard. You know, he hit a double. I'm like, what was the last pitch you threw? Fastball. Well, he just hit a triple, right? So they're hit, like, they're going to hit your pitches, okay? <laughs> and, and, and again, that's that resulting aspect. So you have to have that hypothesis that leads, which going to Max's point, that drives your reporting that then, to, and I'm sure, Julie, what, what, what you're doing is 
you're looking at it and you're like, okay, here's what we thought was going to happen. Here's this. What's, oh, okay. What could this mean? Hey, let's test that out. I'm, I'm also going to bet that you don't go, okay, so we thought this and we were wrong. It's, we thought this, we saw that, we're now going to test this, mm. right? And so the, 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 the best, best, best performers in business and life, they don't live in right or wrong, right? It's, it's okay. It's, it's all about progress and journey. And, and, and by the way, this is the last thing, because I wanted to say this something earlier. There, there's a rhythm to, to um, measuring, right? And, and so one of the things that happens, and I see this all the time, we do weekly reporting. We review the sales team on a weekly basis. Well, guess what? Your sales cycle doesn't operate on a weekly cadence, right? So now you're, now, now you're creating this stress. And the trouble with humans is if you put data in front of them, their, their decision, they're, they're motivated to do something. I see something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Hardest lesson I learned as a financial advisor, it made my clients a lot of money, was nine times out of 10, the best decision I could make was do nothing. Mm-hmm. Despite yep. everything that I'm seeing that's going, oh no. See, like, so I stayed out of the internet at fun. I stayed out of the this. I stayed out of the this, right? Um, and if you take a look at what happened over the course of the, the life of my client, they did far, far better than, than, than through other options because you're looking to manage decision quality. That's the only reason to report. That's the only reason to do analysis is to be able to improve the decisions that you're making. There's, I, I have Love so, it. I have so little time and so many questions. That's, that's the problem that I'm, I'm faced with right now because we're literally at like the time of our podcast. But here's the thing. There are three great articles, uh, that I want people to dive into after thinking about it, because I knew that this was going to go in a different direction. I, I, and I hope people pick out like words that are important, right? Multiple metrics, having a hypothesis, um, in the pursuit of, right? It's the journey. Like we've, we've talked about that. Um, th- so much good stuff came out of heading in a different direction for this that we haven't even talked about other than me pulling one little piece of the article. So I'm going to close up this way. And I'm, I'm just going to ask, was there anything in the articles? Julie, we'll start with you. Max will go to you. Doug will finish with you. Anything in the article that or articles that you want to point out that people should head into, listen to, pay attention to as they kind of move forward out of this episode? Mm, um, I think if people read the articles and over-index on any one thing from them, it would be that reporting and analysis are not the same. I will fight that fight every day. Um, I liked how that first article talked about, you know, reporting leads to value. Like everything you should be doing with your reporting should lead to some sort of valuable outcome that helps you in one way, shape or form, do better at what you're trying to do better at. Right. Um, Just always make sure you're not just measuring something for the sake of measuring it. Do it with a purpose. My, my, My takeaway is kind of a little bit more meta than that. We had three articles that looked at the topic from three distinctly different places and Together, they failed to make a dent on the hair of the bubble that we call reporting analytics analysis, et cetera, which is to say, like, don't get lost in this. You know, it's progress. It's not perfection. It's, you know, stop trying to do it all. Just get better. Just be a little bit better. Or you know what? Here's something I'll give you even easier. Just be a little less bad at it. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series on Joe Madden saying the last thing he said is, hey, guys, try not to suck today. Mm -hmm. The SEALs operate on the mantra suck less, right? Just... Every day, little bits of improving your decision quality that comes together. So yeah, there's good stuff in all those pieces. Pick one thing to focus on and do that. Then worry about the other stuff. That's my takeaway. 
Yeah. One decision. Fewer things one, better. Yeah, exactly. One step, one decision. I love it. I love it. You know, it's funny because when people I talk to them, I'm like, look, you don't get out of bed in the morning and just appear in the bathroom. You got to get there one step at a time. And that's anything in life. It's one one better thing, one less, as Doug said it, one less suckier thing. Hey, remember to go ahead and use the hashtags, uh, hashtag the spot or the spot podcast, hashtag Sprocket Talk. Make sure that you hit us up at RealJulieD, at Doug Davidoff, at Max Jacob Cohen. And of course, I'm uh, your friend, your buddy, your pal, at George B. Thomas. And uh, hey, Listen to this again because there's about 27 rewindable moments. Go check out those articles and we'll see you in the next episode.